When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Running a little option. Jackson beats. Jackson breaks the tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Hello and welcome to Pod Like a Raven, episode two, after a dominating win over the Miami Dolphins. I am joined by my two co-hosts. To my left, Tim Horsey. Tim, how's it going? Oh, well, it really couldn't be any better, to be completely honest. After a uh, 59-10 victory over the Miami Dolphins, I'm feeling pretty good, my friend. Joining us from Los Angeles, Jace Evans. Jace, how you feeling after week one? Uh, absolutely delightful, Antonio. It was a pleasant, woke up, turned on the, the old Sunday's ticket stream, just watched touchdown after touchdown after touchdown from the new look Ravens offense. Absolute delight. We're going to get into specifics a little later, but I know none of us expected quite so many points, <laughs> quite so much offense, quite so much dominance. Miami uh, looking more like a, maybe a college team than a pro team, but we're, we'll get into the specifics, so... Let's start with a section that we want to call the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to talk about things that went well, obviously things that didn't go as well, which might be a struggle to find in this <laughs> game, and then just something ugly that may have to be things that were related more to the Dolphins than the Ravens, but <laughs> let's start with the good. Everything? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't really specify with the Ravens. I think the, uh, if you look, I'm going to start defense first because that's always my forte. I think the pass rush looked very good. The secondary was incredible. A couple picks off both quarterbacks that played for Miami <laughs> uh, in, in week one there, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen. So I, I'll let you guys take the offensive side, but, I mean, really no complaints. Uh, the, the only thing really to complain about is we were playing an inferior opponent, maybe maybe a high school team in the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, uh, 
not a lot of complaints because the Ravens set franchise records for points with 59 yards with 643. Uh, Lamar Jackson tied our boy Joe Flacco with touchdowns in a game with five. Um, Mark Ingram went over 100 yards. Earl Thomas had a pick, as Tim said, was one of those interceptions in his Ravens debut. I mean, it's hard to think of an NFL team like playing better (laughs) than what the Ravens played on Sunday. 59 points is against pretty, I mean, and we'll get into the specific opponent, but 59 points, still impressive and hard to really find too much faults with anything that happened. We've, we've seen this from Harbaugh led Ravens teams before where week one, they're just unbelievably prepared for the opponent. And we saw that on the first play of the game, or actually (laughs) to the first play from scrimmage. Uh, I was in Miami, as we as we talked about at the end of episode one. I would say it was about 40% Ravens fans, and they were just wow. going absolutely crazy with the uh, Ingram 50-yard run on first down, and it just set the tone for that whole game. Uh, if we want to talk about the bad, the fact that Miami played two quarterbacks, and Tim, you want to say something else about the good? Yeah, first? sorry, just real quickly because we ragged on them, and me specifically ragged on them so much in our in our preseason season preview for the Ravens. The offensive line was great. Uh, Bradley Bozeman starting at left guard, and on that forty nine yard run you're talking about for Ingram had a perfect seal block. I believe it was on the defensive tackle or defense. Def- defensive end, excuse me, that really opened up that hole and pass protecting only one sack on Lamar Jackson. Uh, rushing yards total, I believe, 265 yards rushing total for the Ravens. Holes everywhere. So really, really good stuff from a group that we we criticize, and I believe rightly so in the preseason. The offensive line was absolutely incredible. That second touchdown throw to Marquise Brown, I th- Marquise, I mean, um, Lamar Jackson looked like he was just sitting in his living room waiting for <laughs> the right time. <laughs> throw to come up. I mean, he had 10 yards of space in front of him just sitting and waiting for the right guy to come up. And we'll see how good he's going to look in games where he doesn't have that much time and that much comfort in the pocket to make certain throws. So that is going to be my one. It's like a bad in, in parentheses or in quotes. I saw several throws that Lamar made sort of like on the back foot that were some lollipop balls that ended up being caught for big gains or even touchdowns. The Boykin touchdown was really a throw that should never have been made. That was, But Miami was so poor in the secondary that he's going to, I mean, he's going to take that as a positive, and I'm a little concerned that he's going to think these are throws he can make consistently. This is nitpicking 101 from you. Oh, my <laughs> Lord, Antonio Barbera. Come on now. you got to enjoy it a little bit. You were in the stands. You didn't have enough Dos Equis. Like, you, you were that critical of this <laughs> When team? he threw the ball to Boykin, I think my words were, oh, my God, oh, no. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. A uh, uh, little concern on this head, on that Boykin throw as well. <laughs> but what a, maybe... You know, Jackson's a scrambler. Could be a lot of no, no, yes this season. Uh, We shall see. (laughs) So something else I wanted to make sure we talked about. Miami, nobody really considered them a tough opponent. Not a lot of people are surprised that the Ravens won, that the Ravens won by a lot. Maybe not 59 to 10. But the one aspect, and I read this from Bill Barnwell wrote a piece about how probably the biggest strength of Miami's team was their cornerback pairing. And so that was the one thing that maybe they should have been able to handle well, but we still burned uh, Howard and Minka Fitzpatrick multiple times. So I wanted to talk to you guys about uh, how you felt about 
Lamar Jackson looking good against what was supposed to be a very strong cornerback pairing. Yeah, I, and you mentioned, especially on that, the the 83-yard TD to Marquise Brown, that there was just no help on that. But that being said, he still had to make the throw and put the touch on the throw. And same with the, the throw to Willie Sneed. There wasn't help over the top, but he still had to hit that throw. I was very impressed with... Um, and, you know, his accuracy on these deep balls. I mean, he, he went 17 for 20. He only had three incompletions. One was a Willie Sneed drop. Uh, so really just two incompletions all day. Um, and, yeah, he's, he made the throws. And as we said, a lot of there were a few back foot. But, you know, you can't if you complete the pass, you can't really complain too much about it. Um, so, yeah, I was thoroughly impressed regardless of opponent and what the Dolphins were doing on the back end coach strategy wise. I, I don't think, see how you can't be impressed with what Lamar did. Yeah. I was a little flabbergasted by you talk about the corners are, are a strength for Miami, but there was no safety help. They, they thought the run game was going to be dominant for the Ravens. And frankly it was. And so they had to load up the box, but I mean, there wasn't one guy back there for any of these throws to Lamar's credit though. And this is something I told the people I was watching the game with, and, and, I, and I'm not trying to sit here and criticize, and, and it's gonna, this is going to come off worse than I mean it, but a lot of those open throws, I don't know if Joe in his later, in his later days, maybe even his prime mix, he consistently, when we had guys open down the field, if you finally beat a guy one-on-one, a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick, who is supposed to be a good corner, supposed to be one of the you know, cornerstones, quote-unquote, for this Dolphins team, although I don't really know if they have many in their, in their current state, that was a throw that Joe consistently missed, whether it was underthrown or he threw the guy overthrew the guy by 10 to 15 yards. Lamar, granite, the Willie Sneed one I was very impressed with because that, that was a little tougher. But the Marquise Brown, the second touchdown for Brown, he hit him right in stride. And if he would have, if he would have underthrown him, that corner, I can't remember who was covering Brown, but that corner would have caught him. He almost did, but he he hit him right in stride. He had to even reach out for it a little bit, and he was able to keep that momentum going, and that's what led to the second touchdown. So you can talk all you want about the scheme Miami ran and just the lack of talent overall in that side, but I think some of those touch passes you saw from him. Um, were actually incredible. I was very, very impressed. The Mark Andrews touchdown. Yes. I should say where he was down at the one-yard line yeah. was another throw that yeah. you're absolutely right. Hit him in stride. It looked easier because the, the I don't know if it was a linebacker or defensive back had fallen down. It was tripped, yeah. Uh, at that point, but the ball was perfectly thrown in stride. If we want to talk about the ugly, if we want to get to the ugly, pretty much everything Miami did. I mean, <laughs> from the stadium, I would say half of the Miami fans left by the midpoint of the first quarter. They, they're they very aware that this is a rebuilding year for this team and that this is going to be an ugly season, but that they were not disappointed. Yeah, I mean, then you saw the report. I uh, Apologies, I believe it was from Rappaport, but I can't remember saying that multiple Miami Dolphins requested trades after this game, which just shows you the state of that locker room right now. Like Those are guys you don't want in your locker room after one embarrassing performance. They don't want to bounce back. They say, I want to, I want to get out of here. Um, but the, the bad with Miami, the one thing that I think is pretty remarkable is the fact that and this is it's almost a good for the Ravens, but you get a lot of people now. It's like, oh, I don't know if that was that impressive. Look who they were playing. Look who they were playing. And as a Ravens fan, you're kind of like, well, maybe give us a little more credit. Like, come on, 59 points. As Jay said, all these records that were broken, points, touchdowns, total net yards, 643, by the way, margin of victory, passer rating, and passing touchdowns, which, which Jace alluded to. But on the other side of it, you look at the top stories for the NFL Week 1, if you're running through like uh, the, the NBC pregame show and they're running through all the top stories, the Ravens weren't in there. 
And I'm kind of excited about that. We're, we're, <laughs> we scored 59 points and we're flying under the radar, which doesn't make sense to me. But it, but in, in a sense, too, you could almost see it as an ugly because you're kind of like, well, maybe we should deserve a little more respect. They scored 59 points and they had their starters pulled in the third quarter. I mean, it was essentially perfection from the offense for two and a half quarters. If everybody stays in, what does that score end up as? 80? Well, I wrote this down. We had 12, the Ravens had 12 possessions and they scored on nine of them. And two of the possessions were kneel downs. And then the other one that isn't on the list was the punt that Miami muffed and then led to another Ravens possession. So oh they essentially scored on every possession they tried to save one. So and then they still got the ball back for that. Let's talk about <laughs> possessions and the score and how many points they could have gotten. Any uh, any argument about whether the Ravens were running up the score late in the game? There was the uh, the fake the fake punt, which I don't know why that was necessary, and then uh, throwing the ball on fourth <laughs> down in the in the red zone as opposed to maybe running it. Uh, I think Harbaugh is just reminding people that he used to be a special teams coach, and he's like, "Look what I can do! Look what I can do!" It thirty five three, and you're running the Anthony Levine fake punt. Yikes! I'm look. I don't honestly. I don't really care about running up the score. It's it's. It, for my mentality, it's more of, hey, if you can't stop us, we're going to run it down your throat and we're going to score as many points as possible. Who knows if that ends up being some obscure tiebreaker down the line? You might as well. My only argument, and this is kind of playing devil's advocate because I don't necessarily agree with this, is you're showing people that you have that in your playbook. But my counter argument to that is everybody has that play in their playbook. So <laughs> who cares? You know, I, it was it was a yeah. little off putting. I remember sitting there watching the game and I actually looked away for the punt and then looked back and Levine is running down the field. And I was, you have a moment of like, oh, should they really be doing that? But at the same time, it's week one. Let's have some fun. Let's let's show the NFL what we're all about. And that, I really it didn't really bother me that much, to be honest. Yeah, I I similar to Tim, it's. It's, and James Lofton on the call said pretty much the same thing. He was like, here are the NFL. He stopped them. <laughs> like, uh, and I think late in the game, you know, it's almost more of like, let's just bleed some clock. And it was clear everyone wanted to get out of there. Well, except Brian Flores, who was apparently trying to teach a lesson to his team when he called timeout with under two minutes to go and the game sealed, I guess. But aside from that, uh, yeah, I... I have no problem with them trying to score, especially when RG3 is in there. It's like, well, you're really not showing anyone too much because hopefully Robert Griffin III isn't in many games. Also, I will say on the RG3 thing, that's a team camaraderie moment. You know, the the, the whole story, the kind of my uh, my mom had a friend who was down at the game and RG3 was actually on his plane down to Miami because he stayed late for the birth of his child then you kind of he comes down, he gets a chance to play, and then like you know a day after his kid is born, he scores a touchdown. The whole team rallied around that. You saw the video of Lamar celebrating that, you know, more than any fan was at that point in the game. So I I have no <laughs> issue with that whatsoever. I could for the fake punt just see Harbaugh saying, "Well, you know, we got the look that we wanted." Uh, and so <laughs> so once you see that look, you take it. That's so very John of you. <laughs> uh, so let's move on now. We want to talk a little bit. Tim, you spoke about the defense in the open. Uh, let's talk about the speed of this defense. Let's oh, talk about the man. pass rush. I know you want to talk about this a little bit, and specifically some guys who there's not a lot of expectations, and some guys showed up and made some plays that we're going to take every week in, week out if they can make those plays. Yeah, by the way, 12 quarterback hits, only three sacks, but Fitzpatrick was beaten up in this game. I will just say overall, and and 
Oh, the whole conversation we're having about this game, and we've mentioned it a few times, you take it with a grain of salt because it's the how much did we learn we're playing Miami. But let's just throw that to the side for a second. This defense was flying to the ball. All three levels. Jace, I don't know if you agree with me. I don't know if you heard this on the call. and may, I, I doubt you heard it when you're in the stands in Miami. Every hit felt like a massive hit. Every time they hit him, you heard the pads crunch. Thwap, thwap, thwap. Every single that, time. The defense was flying Judon around. Go laid ahead. out that guy on the swing pass. I thought he killed him. Yeah. Like, it, was, it was so loud. It was incredible. And that was early in the game, and I was like, these boys are ready to play. They don't care who's in front of them. They're just going to go after heads. And I absolutely loved it as somebody who grew up on that Baltimore defense. And, yeah, and we talk about some fringe guys in the pass rush. I mean, Pernell McPhee, I believe if I look, I have to – he had a sack in this game. Remember, Jace mentioned last uh, last week, no sacks last season for Pernell McPhee. He's got one. He's uh, on pace for 16 sacks. Peanut has got one as well. And and some guys that don't really show up on the stat sheet, but one guy that, I, that in my opinion, was consistently in the backfield when he was on the field, a guy that's been talked about as somebody who – who, you know, needs to provide for this offense or excuse me, this defense and this pass rush because it's going to have to come from multiple guys was Tyus Bowser, the guy they drafted a couple years ago to be that rush end, to be the, you know, for lack of a better term, heir apparent to a guy like Terrell Suggs. Every time he was on the field, I thought he was in the backfield causing havoc. He had uh, one tackle. It was a solo tackle, and he also had a quarterback hit. No sacks for him, but I thought he made a big impact on the game. And and we saw, too, Wink Martindale with, by the way, the best football guy haircut I've ever seen, <laughs> constantly sending pressure, as we talked about in, in last week's podcast, sending pressure from all different angles, confusing Fitzpatrick, and which allowed and freed up those that defensive front because the offensive line was so concerned about corners, safeties, linebackers coming from every which angle you have your front guys as well getting pressure and I just thought it was a defensive master class um, in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback yeah I completely agree I was gonna to just echo your point Tim it seemed like especially in the second half once the lead was so big and they could just they knew Miami was gonna have to attempt to pass so they could just tee off there was a guy coming from the linebacker level every single down and it was fun to watch <laughs> I mean Fitz- Fitzpatrick looked like he was running for his life on yeah. several plays. He made certain throws. I mean, I guess they're, they're sort of Fitzpatrick throws, but he made several where he was running full steam to his right and then turned and tried to throw all the <laughs> way across the field to his left, and they didn't go well at all. Josh Rosen comes in, which we got to talk about this at least a little bit. Don't really understand. Either he's ready to play and he should be the starter for this team, or he's not ready and you just save him on the bench. He comes out, throws an interception on one of his first few throws on another play where he got a ton of pressure, was forced out of the pocket, and thought he could squeeze the ball past the secondary, which he's no quarterback is going to be able to do. Great play by Marlon Humphrey, by the way. Absolutely brilliant break on that ball and been able to keep himself in bounds as well. So the one negative on the defense is the... <laughs> I don't I, I don't want to laugh because it's not... I mean, if you feel bad for the guy, but the Jimmy Smith injury... Happened, Jace, how many minutes into the game? How many plays into the game, which we sort of was, expected, but not this early? Yeah, it was within the first eight minutes of the game. Um, it was before the eight minutes into the game, Mark. Uh, he, Yeah, it's unfortunate. And I thought Anthony Averett did a pretty solid job in his stead. But Jimmy Smith is a good player. And it is just really unfortunate that he can't seem to stay on the field. I truly can't remember the last time he played 16 games. It's officially a sprained right knee. We'll miss multiple weeks. I mean, it's 
if if any position was going to lose a guy, it'd be the secondary, and you think it would be okay. But now we've lost two guys. You know, one game with uh, Tavon Young out for likely out for the season. Now Jimmy Smith. That secondary is getting thinner and thinner as we go along. So we hope Jimmy Smith comes back soon. I will say two to four weeks from initially looking at it, and I know you didn't get the uh, you know you didn't get the replays possibly in the stadium, but. After seeing those replays, I thought season. So yeah, two, I thought he was done for the year. Two to four weeks is is a blessing in disguise, I would think, uh, for Jimmy Smith. All right, so let's close out. Any other thoughts, guys, on on the Miami game? Things we loved, didn't like, want to see improvements on? I got one thought. I, I got one thought, Jace. Go ahead, Tim. Not too bad for a running back. <laughs> yes. I and I wanted to echo on that. I think maybe in some ways the most important number was six which was number of Lamar Jackson rushing yards uh, in this game. Um, I think we spent all offseason, you know, and when I say me, I mean we in the media and stuff, uh, talking a lot about just like the Ravens were going to be the smash mouth, run the ball team, and they did run the ball well, but it wasn't really from the quarterback position. And I don't like it. And you reflect on it. The Ravens never really said, yeah, we're going to run Lamar like 20 times a game. They were just like, our offense is going to look different. And then he came out and he went 17 for 20 for over 300 yards with a lot of just excellent pinpoint passes. And it was it was and for, you know, for his long term health, that's a lot less hits he has to take when you're not running the ball 16 times a game. So I that was I, the big takeaway for me, I think, was just the offense look looking different in a way that people probably didn't expect. I will say, too, just quickly, you, speaking of the run game and the lack of it from Lamar, I really liked that we got Ingram, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill. We got a healthy blend of all those guys. Mark Ingram, when that signing happened, I was like, okay, great, some veteran leadership for that running those running backs. That's great. He looked powerful. He looked quick, incisive, making his cuts. I, I was very, very incredibly impressed with Mark Ingram, and obviously – to kick it off with the 49-yard run, which he started by just absolutely trucking oh some guy and then, and then <laughs> p- finishing the run there. Gus Edwards, 17 for 56. Justice Hill, who's going to be your change of pace guy, especially in his rookie year, uh, 7 for 27. A really healthy blend of those guys, I thought. And, and all of them bring something different um, to the run game, which, as Jace mentioned, is going to take the pressure off Lamar in, in the running aspect and allow him to you know be more of a quarterback and, and throw the ball more. Right. I mean, I, I'm not in that locker room but I think the start of this game really helped dictate the fact that they didn't need Lamar Jackson to run a lot I mean when everything else was working as it was there was really no need to have him run even once I think what Jace was it three rushes it was yeah it was three attempts for six yards right. and I, really I, not even a ton of designed like right. one was probably just a scramble and so I'm curious to see there will be a game sooner as opposed to later where the running game isn't going so well. These deep throws aren't there, and he's going to have to keep the ball himself a few times, and, and yeah. we'll see how he does well, and, and how quickly that game plan will change. And just one last thing I was thinking before we move on from this game. when We didn't touch on them, and we should. The tight ends, which we thought would be good and prominent, and they targeted them. I saw some graphic late in the game where we had targeted tight ends about twice as much as wide receivers and you know when you have speed like Marquise Brown on the outside that should open up the middle um and especially when Lamar's still a threat to run uh and Mark Andrews had over 100 yards in a TD and 
It's going to be a great year for the Ravens tight ends. Yeah, 14 of the 23 receptions came from tight ends. Eight for Andrews, three for Hayden Hurst, three for Nick Boyle, which was great to see. Oh, and one for Patrick Ricard, too. Got to throw in the <laughs> fullback, man. You know how I love my fullbacks. And, and a touchdown. Yeah, plays term both as well. ways. <laughs> okay, let's get to the AFC North. Now, Ravens 1 0, everybody else 0 1. Uh, let's start with the Browns. I wrote in my notes Browns Brownsing. Uh, I don't know how much we want to boast after one game, but uh, all of our dreams came true for the Week 1 Browns. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Baker woke up feeling dangerous because he threw three picks. Um, 18 (laughs) penalties for the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns continue to Browns. Keep telling me they're going to the Super Bowl. Please keep telling me. They lost 43-13 to the Tennessee Titans. I mean, by the way... I kind of gave Tennessee a little crap in the in the week one. I thought they looked pretty good in this game as well. But, man, good thing Odell was wearing an expensive watch because they had something else to talk about in this game. What in the world was that from Cleveland? Here's a stat for you all. Um, since the Cleveland Browns returned to the NFL in 1999, they are 1-18-1 in season openers. That seems impossible. They haven't won a season opener since 2004. How? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> but so, yeah, to put it succinctly, Brownsing is probably the most uh, uh, apt way to put it. And like you said in the first segment, Tim, the Ravens won 59 to 10. And we're probably the third most talked about team in the AFC North after this week. Thanks to the Browns and a team we will get to in a second. Uh, but a really disappointing performance for the Browns and their fans. And uh there's some offensive line concerns that could... I don't expect them to have 18 penalties every week, but there's issues there for sure. So I, I think a lot of people sort of viewed that Browns schedule and said, well, the Titans, that's the win that they get, and they look good, and everybody jumps even more on the bandwagon. And then there's that Week 2 game against the Jets, and that's where, you know, reality <laughs> may sit it. That's the trap game. No trap game in Week 2, because now everybody's paying attention to this team. I think the Week 1... Jace, your, your comment about how many t- times they've lost their, their <laughs> openers. I just think it's a comment on their coaching. I think they've done a horrendous job throughout the years of having the right coaching staff for this team. And that's probably their biggest question this year, is Freddie Kitchens and whether or not he's the right guy for this job. We talked about how he has never been a coordinator before. If your team gets 18 penalties in Week 1, you did a bad job of preparing them for the season... And I, I can't think of a more visual way to show that your team was not ready and that it is purely manifested by the head coach's job yeah, so far. Yeah, that always comes down to the coach, I think. When you look at penalties, that's the first guy you look at. And, Jace, you talk about the offensive line. Everybody wanted to talk about Baker. Everybody wanted, to, everybody wanted to talk about Odell and Juice Landry. They wanted to talk about Nick Chubb, who actually I thought looked pretty good. 17 carries, 75 yards. That offensive line is the problem. It's something that we highlighted for the Ravens in the in this season overview here, the season preview, excuse me, that that might be the thing that makes or breaks this Ravens season. I think it might be the same thing for the Browns. And it doesn't help when one of your best linemen kicks somebody in the head and gets ejected. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just completely undisciplined from a team that has all these expectations. And, and it kind of shows, you know, you can talk about culture and what teams are used to and expectations. And I mean, Look at the Patriots, and we'll get to them in a second, obviously, and what, and what they've kind of developed there. <laughs> Cleveland isn't used to this type of stuff, and it showed with these guys. It absolutely showed. And Mike Francesa put it the best way. Oh, look, a team with Odell losing again. I mean, not to put it all on Odell Beckham Jr., but, but they just it doesn't seem like they've cultivated that. And then we talked about it last week as well. You know, it, no team is going 
from not making the playoffs all the way to the Super Bowl. And these expectations and all the hype around this team was enormous, and there was no way they were going to be able to to promise that. And we sh- it showed week one, a 30-point loss to the Tennessee Titans. At oh, home. man. The, 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 <laughs> just the look. And, we t- and Jace, obviously, is, is king uh, Cleveland hater on this podcast. But I saw some pictures and images, you know, as the Ravens game is going on. They're cutting into live updates from Cleveland. And they're showing the fans and how distraught they are. And this was our moment. This was our moment. And I, I hate to say it, but it actually warmed my heart seeing some of that disappointment. So I always say that, you know, week one is the hardest week to pick what teams are going to win each game. And then week two is the, the next hardest because everybody overreacts to week one. So the Browns may be fine. They may figure it out. They didn't have a lot of practice time. Maybe they didn't play a ton in the preseason. And this is... I mean, Aaron Rodgers looked terrible in, in the first half of their game, and they scored 10 points total, right? So this may be just a week one showing, but at the same time, you have all offseason to prepare for this team. So it's not looking great so far for week one for the Browns. Number two team, AFC North, also 0-1. The Steelers, I have in my notes, the Steelers also Brownsing because they looked as bad, if not worse, than the Browns. Granted, against a better opposition on the road, but the Steelers... Do we have to completely reevaluate how this team is going to look? Possibly. I. They certainly left a lot to be desired out there on Sunday night. Uh, you know, we talked all offseason addition by subtraction with Antonio Brown. Well, they were missing Antonio Brown on the field last night because the Patriots have one of the best uh, secondaries in the NFL. And they just blanketed Juju and no one else was able to really make plays. And Roethlisberger didn't look great. And they they just looked out of sync and bad. It's like just outright bad. They lost by 30, which is like one of the, I read, I saw on Twitter, one of the biggest like blowouts of the Tomlin era for the Steelers. So it went all kinds of bad for them Sunday. Night. Yeah. I'll, I mean, on the other side. New England's winning the Super Bowl, right? I mean, oh, my lord, they looked good yeah. on Sunday night. But 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 Pittsburgh, man, I, I don't have too much to say on this other than they looked like they did, didn't even practice together. It looked like it was the first time they had suited up and played football as a team in 2019. It was absolutely ridiculous, the performance they put on. I know that if, if this was the Ravens and we were coming in here talking about this team— it would be an hour just talking about how disappointed we were and how furious we were in the setup and the game plan. And it, but the, here's the thing. This matchup always goes the same way for Pittsburgh, it feels like. They always approach New England the same way. And if there's one team you don't do that against, it's the New England Patriots. And they do it every single time. And they, there have been some wins for Pittsburgh in this rivalry. But it just seems like Belichick has Tomlin's number. And this was one of the most embarrassing performances in this matchup, in recent history anyway. I mean, look, it's it's tough to go into Foxborough and try to win or even compete when they're doing the an, another banner. Banner night, as <laughs> yeah. they call it. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to have the crowd into it. It's going to be, you know, a crazy atmosphere. But they looked out of sync. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> I've seen highlights and photos of uh, that one snap where everybody on the <laughs> offensive line moved except for this, the guy with the ball, yeah. which was the center. Uh, so it's just a team out of sync. We'll see if they figure it out quickly. I mean, I, I want to say, I really want to say that Ben Roethlisberger, <laughs> well, maybe, you know, maybe this is the beginning of the decline. He'll probably figure it out in, in the next few weeks and start throwing for 400 yards. But Okay, let me ask you, both of you, and Jace, I'll start with you. 
everybody talks about you don't want to overreact week one. You know, this is not you don't want to overreact the 59 points the Ravens scored or these two 30 point losses that both the Browns (laughs) and Steelers suffered. Who did we learn more about in week one, Pittsburgh or Cleveland? Jace? I think we still learned more about Cleveland because, as you said, the Patriots are winning the Super Bowl, (laughs) so they're the best (laughs) team in the NFL. And I don't know that it's terrible for the Steelers on opening night to come out and kind of stumble on a day when the Patriots and their fans were so fired up to be raising banner six, to have the NFL's attention on them Sunday night and against a, a team that is, you know, somewhat one-sided, but is still one of their primary rivals during the Brady Belichick run. I, I just think they were ready to go. And I think the Steelers have things to work out, but I like their infrastructure better. I think with the first year coach, the Browns have more kind of long terms concerns as it pertains to going forward in the season well and the Browns have so much more to prove I mean the Steelers we have more faith that they're going to figure things out because we've seen it happen year after year where they have a bad loss and we think well that's the end of that and then they go 11 and 5 and and, then win a playoff game but the Browns have yet to show us anything we are going completely off of hype off of talent on the roster at the skill position level mainly and a quarterback who by the way doesn't have that much of a pedigree yet. I mean, he looked great last year. I'm not going to deny that, but he could regress as well, and, and he certainly looked rougher and rougher as that game got along, as, as there was more pressure on his shoulders as the game got tougher and tougher for him. So. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you real quickly. And just and we talk about the, the pedigree, and Jace talked about this last year. The Steelers are known to lose some stupid games <laughs> in the Tomlin era, just like the Ravens are under Harbaugh, like, you know, obviously. But... As we mentioned last week, Tomlin has never had a losing record in every season he's had with Pittsburgh. So I think we definitely learned more about the Browns. Let's see. They could come out and whoop up on the Jets, and then we're all sweating again. But who knows? I think I think the Steelers are in a better position. You just lost to, far and away, in my opinion, the best team in week one. So you might as well just move on and kind of, you know, lick your wounds and then go <laughs> on to week two. We want to get to the, the last team who had maybe the best showing outside of the Ravens. Cincinnati Bengals losing but holding their own in Seattle, one of the toughest places to play. I uh, I came on the show week one and said uh, that the Bengals were the one team that the Ravens were going to sweep in the north, and now I've lost all confidence in that. Now it's looking so much more like another split. Tim, what did you like out of the Bengals? Uh, one, just one quick thing for me. I mean, good, bad, and ugly Andy Dalton. It was good, good Andy Dalton. I don't expect that every single week. But one thing that I saw, and, I, and to be fair, I only saw snippets of this game, went back and watched like the extended highlights of it, obviously. Um, Zach Taylor has figured out how to use John Ross, yes. a guy who everybody loved in college, typical burner, speedster out of Washington. He went back to his his the state he played college ball in, seven receptions, 158 yards, and two touchdowns. That could be a serious weapon for Andy Dalton and the Bengals' offense and, you know, for our sake, hopefully it was just a week one thing and he wanted to go back to Seattle and prove everybody wrong. But I I, I was incredibly impressed with him and maybe they might have found something there uh, in John Ross. Yeah, uh, he looked incredible. I read he nearly like he had like three quarters of the amount of total yards that he's had in his career to this point just on Sunday alone, <laughs> which is pretty impressive. Uh, and I believe Dalton had a career high for yards. If he didn't, he was over 400. So he certainly looked good, and yeah, maybe Zach Taylor, maybe we all underrated the Bengals. Dalton is 
can be decent for long stretches. He's made the playoffs five years in a row. Don't ask what he did when he got there. But yeah, it's uh, a team to kind of be on the lookout for in the AFC North. So I want to look at the schedules for the teams in the AFC North. I'm looking at Pittsburgh. Week two, they play the Seahawks. Then at 49ers, they'll have to go across the country and then play the Bengals and then the Ravens week five. That is not an easy slate for a team that's looked extremely rusty to start the year. I could, after this game, I mean, we'll see, you know, it's, it's week one, but that is going to be a tough matchup against Seattle. I don't care if you're at home or on the road. If they played as bad as they did against the Patriots, they will lose that game, and I would love to see the Steelers at 0-2. The, the Browns we already talked about, they will at the Jets next week. Then they play the Rams. That could be a loss. And then they're at in Baltimore to play the Ravens. Cleveland Browns starting 0-4. So these teams do not have a lot of space. The NFL, 16 games, seems like a lot. And then you lose, you start out 0-2, 1-3, and your season's over, basically, at least your postseason. So it's only week one. It's one game. But those teams are going to have to figure things out very quickly if they want to keep pace with uh, the Baltimore Ravens, who are the only undefeated team in the AFC North right now. All right, so let's move on now to the NFL. We wanted to talk about what was really the biggest NFL story over the weekend that has taken a, a turn even now in, in the last few hours, I guess. And we're recording this at, at 9 o'clock on Tuesday night. So Antonio Brown, the whole mess with the Oakland Raiders, finally got his uh, release, which I think he was playing for for the last several weeks. Uh, when that happened, the three of us were in a text thread, and uh, the joke sort of came out like, of course he's going to sign with New England, right? And it, it, it was a joke, I think. Uh, and then very, very quickly, it was no longer a joke. Antonio Brown, now on the New England Patriots. A story has come out just very recently that says a lawsuit filed Tuesday accuses Patriots wide receiver Antonio Brown of raping a woman in 2017 and 2018. Obviously, we're not going to try to get into too much detail here with this story just breaking, but he may not play immediately for the Patriots if this is an issue that's going to that's gonna keep growing. The New York Times uh, reported the existence of this lawsuit where a woman named Brittany Taylor uh, was a college classmate and trainer, former trainer of Antonio Brown's, uh, and this lawsuit has been filed as of Tuesday. So we'll see what happens with this. We can't get into it too, too much, but any thoughts on... With the lawsuit sort of pending, and we'll see what comes out of that, um, thoughts on Antonio Brown with the Patriots. If he were to actually begin playing uh, and have a full season with this team, are they going to win the Super Bowl by more points than they were going to win without him? I was going to say, they were going to win the Super Bowl regardless. So, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, he, on paper, projects as the most dynamic receiver Tom Brady's played with this side of Randy Moss. Um and, you know, Randy Moss, one of the greatest to ever play. Antonio Brown's right up there in terms of production. And I don't see how they wouldn't coexist well. The only possible thing I was thinking is if Brown is just a disruptive locker room guy, and that's just who he is, and it doesn't matter that he's on the Patriots and he doesn't adhere to the quote-unquote Patriot way or what have you. Um but again, then they could just cut him, and I still think the Patriots win the Super Bowl. So I don't. Um, I think it's in a lot of ways it's a sort of rich get richer scenario, and um, yeah. And the only other thing is Brady's deep ball accuracy has been of a point of 
small concern for Patriots fans the last few years. Um, so maybe there's an issue of him getting the ball to Brown. I still think he'll be able to Brown will get open and Tom Brady get get the ball to people who get open. So I it, assuming it everything he takes the field, I think it would be a pretty successful partnership for the Patriots. Yeah, I don't have too much to add. I mean, you saw them on Sunday night and Josh Gordon, who I didn't wasn't really high on, looked incredible. Yeah, he looked, looked like awesome. just a fast tight end out there. Philip Dorsett looked really good. Um, it was the I, I saw a stat that they I believe in, and if I'm wrong about the numbers, I apologize. But they ran 14 plays without a tight end against the Steelers. Wow. They ran 13 of those all season last year. So they're going to be wow. heavily without Gronk, obviously, until he comes back. They're going to be reliant <laughs> on. Uh, their wide receivers and just having another guy. And, you know, like Jay said, on paper, instantly wide receiver number one, um, if he is able to play, obviously, with this case developing, who knows, uh, at time of recording. It's just, it's unfair, and, and frankly, it's depressing. I mean, I, the timing of all this has been the weirdest part of it for me. I mean, he had a $30 million contract that if he would have just basically showed up, that money was going to be there. I think this was something that was in the works. I can't prove anything on the show right now, <laughs> but I would love to believe that this was something yeah. in the works that the Patriots yeah. had going. I felt like that scene at the end of the usual suspects where like the investigators like staring at all the, the, the things around the room that Kevin Spacey's character, uh, Kaiser Sose was pulling from the, the various uh, things to tell his tale. And I was just like, it all clicked into place for me that like, Brown, because I had the same thought. I was like, why is he doing this? Why is, like, he has all this guaranteed money. He's like, I'm not playing week to week. And it's like, you weren't going to play week to week. You got your own contract voided. And then he signed with the Patriots and got $9 million guaranteed and wanted to play for the Patriots. And I was just like, oh, no, this was the plan all along. <laughs> At least that's how I felt. Obviously, like you said, cannot prove anything. Right. I mean, I don't really understand wanting to turn $30 million into $10 million. I mean, I guess the plan is he's going to be on a one-year deal, you know, play his ass off, have a really good season because Tom Brady is his quarterback, and then turn that maybe into a long-term deal. But he's a guy, obviously, with a lot of distractions, uh, a lot of issues behind him. And now with this lawsuit that was filed, we'll see if this becomes an issue where he doesn't even end up playing with the New England Patriots. I mean, we don't want to speculate too much as this is so... Uh, such a new story. So I guess this is sort of a, like, we'll see what happens. The real headline, Antonio Brown yet to play a, a down in the NFL this season, and there's certainly doubt that he's going to play in week two. Uh, let's look at the rest of the NFL. Guys, any games that jumped out at you where teams underperformed, overperformed, did we look at, uh, do we over... Uh, did we look at some teams and give them too much credit before the season started? I know Jace was down on the Chicago Bears. They put up three points in week one uh, at home. So that was sort of the team that I would lead with. But any other, uh, any other teams that you guys saw this week? I mean, outside of the two AFC North teams we talked about, who I think are your two headliners in terms of disappointment, Atlanta putting up 12 points. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, it, I, I listened to something today where they're talking about Atlanta's one of those teams where you know so many of the players, so you just expect them to be good, especially on offense. Um, I thought that was embarrassing from them. Um, on the other side, I will say just two two teams quickly that I was very impressed with. The L.A. Chargers, uh, probably the game of the week. You know, Jacoby Brissett is here to play. You know, he, he is he's not luck, but he's going to make them very competitive this year, I think. 
um, and L.A. Philip Rivers and um, I, and apologies, the the name of the running back is escaping me at the is moment. Austin Eckler. Thank you, my friend. Uh, they don't need Melvin Gordon. It looks like uh, so far right now. Uh, Melvin Gordon. If I was him, I would show up tomorrow to practice and say, <laughs> "Hey, just guess what? I'm, I can play, guys. I can play. I'm right here." Yeah, um, the Chargers then, look very well rounded, even without Derwin James. I was impressed that they pulled that out. And yeah, yeah credit Colts for fighting back too. Yep. Uh, and then just another team quickly. Kind of the same case with the Ravens playing what everybody has kind of assumed is an inferior opponent. I was incredibly impressed with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, yes. I, I was able to watch all of that game because it was the local 4 o'clock game, and I was a little annoyed. I wanted to flip over to something more competitive. But uh, Dak Prescott, Zeke, um, Cooper, I mean, that that whole offense— Looked like it was firing on all cylinders in week one, and they could be dangerous in the NFC, I think. Yeah, Dak Prescott had a perfect uh, QB rating and looks poised to sign the often joked about $40 million a year deal. <laughs> um, so we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Tim, I want to talk about, you mentioned Atlanta. They kind of remind me a little bit of the Browns. This is a team that has all these names that you've heard of at the skill position, a quarterback that you think... Yeah, I mean, the guy went to a Super Bowl. He's obviously, a, Matt Ryan, an excellent quarterback. But then you look at sort of in the trenches, and that's where they're missing. I mean, their offensive line, the Falcons in Week 1, was atrocious. They got manhandled by the Vikings from start to finish. The Vikings, I'm pr- pretty sure Cousins threw the ball 10 times. 8 for 10, 10, 10, 98 yards. And they were just they were able to run the ball consistently on the Falcons' defense, defensive line. So... The Falcons, that team, I think every year you think they're going to go 11 and f- this is the year they go 11 and 5, and then, and then they're struggling to, f- to figure it out two years in a row now. Yeah, I'll just say they were the Browns before the Browns. They're always kind of that team that everybody wants to jump on and throw money at. And, you know, other than the Super Bowl year, they have kind of disappointed every single season. One other team that I want to talk about, and I'm going to touch on this uh, a little bit when we get to the lines, but who underwhelmed? <laughs> Joe Flacco and the yeah. Denver Broncos. Uh, what was supposed to be a cupcake opening week game for them, especially with Antonio Brown no longer on the Oakland Raiders. Denver scored 16 points. They got I, most of those points, I think, in the fourth quarter. I know they had that late touchdown. Joe Flacco struggled uh, for long stretches there. He looked slow getting out of the well, pocket, was sacked several times, fumbled at least once. Uh, the, the, I think actually twice, but they didn't call it uh, the second time that he fumbled. There were J- some uh, some checkdowns that uh, brought brought a tear to my eye of days gone by. Thinking of days gone by. Uh, <laughs> what's weird about Flacco is his numbers weren't that bad. I jotted them down here. He was twenty one for thirty one for two sixty eight with a touchdown. And yet they scored no picks, yet scored 16 points. <laughs> it was kind of a quintessential late career Flacco. And. I, you know, not to take too much out of one game, but it's hard to look at Lamar Jackson going 300 yards and five TDs and Flacco putting up 16 points to be like, this is why the change was made. (laughs) Denver, a team that a lot of people had as a dark horse playoff team. I mean, they weren't going to win the West, but possibly be a wildcard team. Again, it's, it's one week, but you would have liked to see a Flacco on a new team and a new system reinvigorated but i think we saw a lot of the same stuff that we saw from the when he was on the ravens in the last few years any other uh any other games teams that we want to get to before we get to our segment of what's bothering jace anything i think it's time for jace all right so this is a segment we call what's bothering jace we talked about it last week but we'll explain it again for for first time listeners in episode two 
Jace notorious for uh, for rants, uh, sports rants are things that are really grinding his gears. So we're gonna give him a few minutes in every show. Tim and I may take what's bothering Jace every so often, but but really this is uh, Jace Evans' space to complain about something that's that's really bothering him in the NFL. So Jace, episode two, what's bothering Jace? Oh, we have so many unnecessary replay reviews in the NFL today. I don't know if you guys watched the Monday night games last night, but one in particular just infuriated me to my core. There was the Saints were driving. I believe it was in the third quarter. Not 100% certain guy had a ball stripped away. I believe it was Kamara on a long run, but it was like as he was going down, seemed like he was down and then the ball came out. But then a Saints guy picked it up and gained maybe a yard before he was tackled. Either way, it was like clear that it like nothing could be gained by it. But right one second before the the play clock expired and right before the Saints snapped, because it was possible turnover, in came the refs just waving their hands, stop and play. And for what? A yard? What are we doing? <laughs> I I can't understand it. I it was like a, it was never a fumble. How do the refs get this wrong? B, who cares? The guy got a one extra yard. Like, we're just wasting everyone's time with this. And I I could not believe it. And I we've seen it far too often. I, I think one of the, the early going. One of the bigger negative issues for the NFL is these games getting so long and so slow. There's so many timeouts, there's so many commercials, people can't sit through an entire game. This is be- this is why uh, I think as technology has gotten better, and we Tim, you mentioned this in episode one. As these cameras are getting better at capturing every single frame of the ball, you start to question when when the quarterback is his arm moving forward. Is it an empty hand? I don't know if it's a fumble or an incomplete <laughs> pass at the end of the uh, the Cincinnati Bengals game. Right. Uh, that that yeah, looked like uh, that looked like quite very clearly like he was. Yeah, that he, the ball was moving forward, and yet they called it a fumble, and the game was over, and, and yeah, Seattle it, came away with the win. It, we're, and we're still probably two, three decades away from having the tech up to the degree where we remove the question. So we're in this, like, gray area, and it's just, as you said, the games are getting longer, the flow's getting worse, and there's seemingly no end in sight because we keep adding things that can be reviewed, so... I don't know. That's what's bothering me this week. <laughs> we will eventually get uh, just like robot referees. The The ball will make the decision every time and we can keep the game moving. But keep taking the time for uh, the commercials. Uh, that, yeah, that's never going to go. I'd like to thank our sponsors. <laughs> so that was uh, that was what's bothering Jace this week. Jace, I, I couldn't agree more. Let's get to our next segment here called Random Ravens. Each week, one of us is going to pick one of those random Ravens from way back when they're going to give a few hints to the two of us and the listener. Try to have us guess who this person is by the end of the show. Tim is going this week. Uh, let's recap. Last week I did uh, Owen Daniels, the one-year tight end for the Baltimore Ravens. Tim, who is your uh, random Raven this week? Yeah, I'm just going to say, when we when we had meetings before this podcast even started, and this was a segment that we came up with, this was my first thought instantly, and I don't know why. Which has me nervous. I think that you guys might instantly get this. This is the first guy that you first got. First guy this I saw you're going to go This with. is like when, I, when it's my turn, this is the first guy I'm going with. Oh, boy. So here are my five clues, and I'm not giving you the number like Antonio did last week. Because there was no way I would have gotten Owen Daniels until he said number 81. So I'm going to run through these five clues here. 
And let's see, maybe I might have made these too difficult, but I trust both of you. I think I think especially Jace over here, who has all these obscure facts and knowledge in his head, I think he's going to nail this. But we obviously, like Antonio said, we'll reveal it at the end of the show. So if you have some time to think, please don't Google. We'd really appreciate it. Just use the old noggin of yours. First clue. This random Raven played four seasons for Baltimore after signing as an undrafted free agent from McNeese State in 2004. Oh. He was a two-time All-Pro with the Ravens. In 2006, in a game against Atlanta, he had more return yards than the entire Falcons team had rushing with 212. Say that, wait, say that one more time. In 2006, in a game against Atlanta, he had more return yards than the entire Falcons team had rushing. He had 212 return yards. After the Ravens let this player go, he was replaced as the return man by one Yaman Figures. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he stands second all-time in punt return yards and first all-time in kick return yards in Ravens history. He also led the NFL in punt return yards in his rookie season in 2004. So that is my random Raven. We'll, we'll find out at the, the end of the The problem is I there. need to think about this without actually <laughs> continuing the show. I have a name. I think I'm wrong. Uh, we'll wait till the end. Jason, uh, I'm drawing like a huge blank. <laughs> Here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll run through the rest of the show, and as a refresher for both of you guys and the listener, I'll run through all five clues again at the end. Can I? Uh, can I ask one more clue? You don't have to allow it. <laughs> can you tell us what position this player played outside of being a returner? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> then I think I know who it is. Okay. <laughs> With that, I have a no, but he didn't. Come on, McNeese. Is that what he said? McNeese State. He didn't go to McNeese State. Oh, man. (laughs) I didn't mean to derail the show, guys. I mean, come on. We'll be back in 20 minutes after Jason and I think about this. All right. Well, that was Random Ravens. We'll get to it in in about 15, 20 minutes here, but I I, want to keep thinking about this. All right. Let's move forward to the game preview. Week two at M&T Bank Stadium versus Arizona the Cardinals, a strange week one, uh, looked <laughs> terrible for three and a half quarters and then just sort of, I don't know if they turned it on or if the Detroit Lions did what the Detroit Lions do. Found out they were coached by Matt Patricia. <laughs> and uh, Kyler Murray led them back, at least to tie the game, and mm. then they really didn't seem to want to do much else in terms of winning the game. The How comeback was completed, but they didn't get the win part of the comeback win. <laughs> So week two against Kyler Murray, rookie quarterback, and the Arizona Cardinals. What do you guys like about this matchup? What do you not like? I mean, the, the, it's going to be the quarterbacks in this game, but how do we feel about going against Kyler Murray? Yeah, I'll say that the thing I like um, is that the Arizona offensive line is so bad that they end up sacking their own quarterback, which was the <laughs> viral clip of the weekend, if you saw that. Um, <laughs> legitimately, one of their linemen tackled Kyler Murray. <laughs> and, and it's kind of been the thing that they've talked about with his Arizona team. They're not expecting a lot from them. But to throw this guy in week one with this quote-unquote air raid offense from Cliff Kingsbury, he's going to get hit a lot. And that offensive line was atrocious for most of that game. Uh, I pulled up the stats here. Murray was sacked five times for uh, 30, 33 total yards, 11, or excuse me, seven quarterback hits to go on top of those sacks for the Detroit Lions, who are a good defense but not a great defense. Um, we saw it in week one. 
the the Baltimore entire I can't even say front seven because they blitz so many different ways. The Baltimore defense in general did a great job getting pressure on the quarterback, uh, both Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen. So I think it's going to be more of the same. Obviously, neither of those guys are the scrambler that Murray is. But I one of the things I love about this game is I think again for the second week running, the opposing quarterback is going to be running for his life. Yeah, Murray's going to be able to scramble around, so he'll obviously be a lot uh, harder to put on the ground than a 37-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick is. <laughs> um, so that's the minor concern. Um, he attempted 54 pass attempts in his first game as a pro, product of them being behind. Um, and, you know, just Cliff Kingsbury, air raid guy, famously. Um, so they're going to throw, probably throw it a ton, and we should be able, um, I think, to contain Murray. To a degree, um, he's certainly good, it seems like, or at least showed flashes. But like Tim said, really slow start and was in no small part also aided by um, the Detroit Lions in doing completing that comeback. So, so I, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. I think the start of this game is, is going to be so important for Arizona. If they can't establish David Johnson in the first quarter, yeah. they're not going to win this game. I mean, if the Raven come, Ravens come out... When the Ravens come out and, and have the exact same drives that they had against the Dolphins and go up 14 nothing, rookie quarterback, rookie head coach is going to spell trouble, and that's when the turnover is going to happen, when you force Kyler Murray to run around uh, back there under pressure. So I think David Johnson is going to get a lot of carries early, uh, and it's going to be really the first test of this Ravens defense to, to stop the run. Uh, if we're up late in the game, I don't see the Ravens doing the Detroit Lions version of this. I mean, they seem to have the game wrapped up numerous times in the fourth quarter. They had a, it was like a third and four, third and five situation where, of yeah. course, Matt Patricia called timeout right as they were snapping yeah. the ball and got a first down. And then they had to replay the down and had to punt well, on it, fourth down. I don't even think it was him. I think it was Daryl Bevel. They somehow granted him a timeout. He's not even supposed to be allowed to call timeouts. <laughs> so a lot of just miscues for the Lions there. Yeah, that was the most egregious. But yeah, they were up 24 to 6 in the four, early in the fourth quarter and were not able to put that game away. If the Ravens are in a similar scenario, they should be able to put the game away. Especially uh, at home. Another matchup I want to see is... Uh... Marlon, will Marlon Humphrey shadow Larry Fitzgerald <laughs> across the field? Larry Legend not getting uh, not getting any older, it seems. He had eight catches for 113 yards and a touchdown, several tough grabs in the fourth quarter of that game and overtime to bring him back. He really had uh, a, a super long catch in overtime to set up that field goal. Is he, I mean, we take him out of the passing game. Who else is really left for there? Is he still going to have success and, and find space at least at some point in this game. He's got to be one of the most underappreciated guys of this generation, right? I mean, he had the the one uh, playoff run where they went to, went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Steelers, and he kind of took the spotlight there. But because he's been in Arizona his entire career, it's somebody that you don't always look at, but consistently, consistently one of the top performers in the NFL. That being said, my boy Marlon Humphrey's going to shut him down. I have no doubts about that. When he's got <laughs> Earl Thomas uh, behind him as well with some support, David Johnson is a little bit of a worry. Let's see how this defensive front can handle him. But yet again, I'm not too worried about it because the game is one in the trenches and that offensive line, I think our guys uh, on the defensive front will be able to handle that. Um, so they're going to get Murray in these passes. You hope anyway. The, the goal is going to get it in these long third and 10, third and 13 type of situations, even you know third and eight, whatever it is, third and long as they talk about. And the Ravens, man, 
I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but historically incredible against rookie quarterbacks. Yeah. The the crowd, I think for the first time in a long time is going to be is buzzing in M&T Bank Stadium. There's a lot of excitement around this team for the first time in a long time, and then they dropped nearly 60 points on their week 1 opponent. The bank is going to be rocking. I don't think Murray's going to know how to deal with it. And I, yeah. I just I don't see anything, and we'll, we'll get to it obviously a little later with the lines. I don't see anything but a Ravens win here. Yeah, I agree, Tim. The the, the excitement around the Ravens, I think, and uh, you know I'm observing it from afar, but it definitely seems higher than it's been at any point since you know 2013, 2014, maybe. It's it's been a few years of stagnation, so I think the crowd's going to be fired up, especially after what they did Sunday. And yeah, I um, just don't see how the Cardinals leave with a victory. Yeah, one other note, too, just for people that maybe don't pay attention, NFL in general, Patrick Peterson is still suspended. Uh, so they do not have their top cover corner. So it looks like Hollywood Brown might be having some more opportunities over the top for the Baltimore Ravens. He may get uh, 15 snaps this game as yeah. opposed to whatever it was. He got like 12 <laughs> or 14 snaps in, in week one. Yeah, the, the point, I think, Tim, I didn't even really consider this, but the biggest point is Kyler Murray. It's his first road game in the NFL. He obviously had his hiccups in the first two and a half quarters of this game. I think it's going to be that for for four quarters. Uh, We're going to talk about our our picks in in a few minutes here, but I see him struggling the entire game to to communicate, to get plays in, uh, to keep his poise and his composure, and I don't think the team behind him has nearly enough depth to keep him in the game Mm -hmm. uh, while we establish the run and keep throwing for five or six touchdowns just believe in the bank baby believe in the bank they're going to be in his head all game uh, i have one question for you guys it's terrell suggs return to m&t bank stadium how many sacks does he have of lamar jackson well we're going to be up by like 38 in the fourth quarter and they're just going to lay down (laughs) and give him one as a celebratory thank you for all your service no i'm I'm kidding of course (laughs) i I think i mean i love sizzle i think i think this offensive line still has some question marks if he lines up on orlando brown jr in a clear passing situation, I still believe that he can cause trouble for us. And, you know, obviously don't wish him well in this game, but I would I would be very interested to see the kind of reception. It'll obviously be based on how the game is playing out, but the type of reception he gets if he's in the backfield and makes a play. Had a, yeah, had a sack and a forced fumble in week one, so he certainly still has it, especially yeah. it's, a, it's a week two game. It's not a week 14 game yeah. where... Uh, he's still fresh. The legs are a little tired late season. I think... Th- Depending on what the the situation is when it happens, if he does get a sack, I could see the Ravens fans cheering <laughs> the play at least a little bit. If it's a comfortable class. lead, comfortable lead, right. I think that happens. Yeah, but I would yeah. say uh, if it were if the line were over under half a sack, I would say over. Sizzle absolutely gets that one yeah, sack. Yeah, I and think it's a probably gets, gets a fumble one. from Lamar because <laughs> we haven't seen that yet. But we know it's going to come at some point. So yeah. I'll I'll go ahead and I'll say one sack and a forced fumble. <laughs> they may not recover it. The Ravens may hang on to it, but. Uh, the ball ball's going to squeak out. Sure. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get to the lines. Anything else from this game for Arizona? The line is 13 and a half, which is a lot. We're going to get to that in a second, but I wanted to make sure. Any last points about this game? Well, kind of leading, you know, we talked about it a little bit, and we've kind of skated around it with this preview. And one thing that I'm kind of interested from both of you, and we can talk about the line because it is 13 and a half, what should we expect from this offense in week two? They're not going up against the stalwart again. I'm not going to sit here and say we should expect 59 points and record-breaking performances because that would be daft. But, Jace, I'll start with you. What do you expect from the Ravens' offense in Week 2 after such a high in the opening week of the season? Yeah, I, I mean, 
certainly there'll be more punts. They're not going to punt one time. <laughs> um, uh, like you said, Suggs is a decent pass rusher still. Chandler Jones, we haven't mentioned. He's, I think he led the NFL in sacks last year. It was pretty close. Um, but uh, so their pass rush could be more of a problem than anything Miami posed. Um, so I think they're going to have to work for it a little more. Um, that being said, they're still not. This was the worst team in the NFL last year, and Kyler Murray does not fix all of those issues. They were bad on both sides of the ball. So I I think they should be able to move the ball. I wouldn't be surprised to see Lamar run a little more, or maybe scramble a little more, because I I have to think this will be a little bit of a closer game. They, they just have a, a few more pieces. Like we mentioned, Larry Fitzgerald's still great. Like a few more guys who can make plays than the Dolphins had. And so I expect a marginally closer game for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, Lamar throws a pick, but he has one of the longest pickless streaks going on in the NFL in terms of regular season games. Um, so he's pretty careful with the football fumbles aside. Um, so yeah, I, I think they'll be able to move the ball and should be able to get yards, obviously not expecting records, but I don't expect too much regression to the days of the, the dreaded, uh, third quarter lull as it were. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to split the difference here. I mean, they're not going to score 59 points. They're not going to get touchdowns seemingly on every throw because it's better opposition, but you're also getting the game at home. I, I can't say that enough. I think we're going to see a much more balanced attack. I think it's going to be a lot of running. I think all three running backs are going to be involved. If they get that going early, I think it's going to be where the team has like 200 rushing yards by, by the end of this game as you know, combined, maybe even more. I think it's going to be a pretty comfortable win. I've been going back and forth with this line, so I, I can jump into it now and we'll, and we'll start uh, knocking some of these games off. The Ravens at home, 13.5 points. I mean, that line, it seems inflated to me based on this week one game uh, against the Dolphins, and yet I'm taking them. I'm taking <laughs> them by 13.5. Even with the garbage touchdowns, which I'm terrified of uh, when, when you see a line like this, I think the garbage touchdown is going to make it from a, like a 24-point game to a 17-point game, and I think they're comfortable from start to finish. And if the Ravens have that, you know, 10-point lead and, they're, and they have the ball and they're driving late in the fourth quarter, guess what they're not going to do is kick a field goal. They're going to go for it on fourth down and score a garbage touchdown and win by 17 points. So I'm taking the Ravens 13-and-a-half. I don't love it, but that's my pick. Before I get to my other two, do you guys want to do your, uh, your Ravens? Sure, why not? Jace, go ahead, bud. Yeah, so I went with just the inverse of you, Antonio, is that I think the garbage touchdown will make it within 10 points. <laughs> um, I, I still think this is a fairly comfortable win for the Ravens. I would be stunned if they lose this game, but I just 14 points is still maybe I'm just a scarred fan from years of watching Joe Flacco and then much worse QBs prior to him lead the offense. Um so seeing the Ravens favored by 14 points seems like just way too many to me. But uh, yeah, I shouldn't be much of a struggle, but I just didn't want to take the points or go with that point spread, basically. Jace said, maybe I'm a scarred fan. I am a scarred <laughs> fan. Um, and I'm also an incredible pessimist. And for that reason, I am taking Arizona plus 13 and a half. That being said, lock it in that the Ravens win this game. I just think maybe... It's, it's a little more disappointing. This offense maybe comes in not necessarily confident, but maybe a little too cocky as well, which is, you know, it's hard hard not to be after that performance. Trap game? <laughs> trap, Not a trap game. Absolutely not a trap game. I still think they win this game. But I think that 
Arizona makes it uh, tough enough where even if it is a backdoor backdoor cover or not, it's going to be uh, under 14. Well, and to your point, Tim, now there is tape on this Ravens offense. Yes. As to, we, it was all just theoretical talk before. So now teams generally know what they're trying to do, which is crop pass to the tight ends a lot over the middle and stuff like that. So it'll be a little harder. I have a feeling that Arizona is going to have some safety help, unlike Miami. But see, I'm <laughs> going to take that the other way. They have to, Arizona now is going to have to completely respect the deep ball from the start of this game. And that's where I see the running attack just dominating from start to finish. You can't cover both things. You can't, uh, you know, help on both sides of that. If they run the ball to start and they guys start creeping up into the box, then we'll look for the Marquise Brown bomb. But but I think they're going to see this film, be very concerned uh, that they that the Dolphins did not have any help over the top, <laughs> uh, adjust to that, and get burned on the ground. So let's go to our other picks. I have two other games. Uh, that I like this week. And we're going to go over last week results as well. We'll do that at the end here. But this is really just, and I feel bad because I own the man's jersey and he's a Super Bowl MVP, but (laughs) Chicago Bears, two and a half point favorites against the Denver Broncos. I saw all that I needed to see out of Denver and I'm very confident in Chicago's defense against Joe Flacco. That's basically what this bet is. And I think two and a half is way too low. That I had, so I had initially picked this too. Incredibly, uh, Denver was favored when this line opened, and then they, uh, everyone watched the game, and now the Bears are favored. <laughs> so I agree with you, Antonio. I uh, I had switched just for the sake of having some different picks. I had switched out, but and I, I don't want to sound like we're ragging on him constantly because he is unquestionably one of the great players in Ravens history, but uh, Joe Flacco did not look good last night, and it's hard to see how where are the improvements coming from really especially that bears defense limited aaron Rodgers that much i don't know against uh joe flacco i like his chances they're like their chances <laughs> my second pick is i'm taking the eagles at minus one and a half this is a game where i think this line is is reactionary too much to week one that game against the redskins they played they were down for a, a you know a big chunk of that game and then had to come storming back and ended up winning extremely comfortably uh, they had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter, and the Redskins uh, sort of got a late touchdown to make the score look closer than it really was. Philadelphia is on track. This whole game, one and a half points, seems way too low for me. Yeah, just quickly, I'll just say, uh, to take people behind the hur- curtain, I loved this game, and I went to pick it, and then I saw Antonio already had it. So I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to do something a little different. I think Philly is a lock to beat Atlanta by more than a uh, point and a half. And Atlanta's, we saw how they looked in week yep. one. Got dominated on both sides of the ball. Philadelphia are going to be good at both of those things. Uh, so. Yeah, again, Atlanta got dominated against a team that we all think is worse than the Eagles. So, <laughs> so those are my three picks. I'm taking the Ravens, 13 and a half. Chicago, two and a half. Eagles, one and a half, all favored. Tim, who you got? Uh, yeah, so I, again, I wanted to be a little different. I love that Philly pick, but I'm going to pick uh, KC minus eight at Oakland. It was eight and a half, and then it dropped down a half a point to minus eight. Um, Oakland, yeah, they got the week one win against uh, the Joe Flacco-led Broncos, who, as you guys have both mentioned, were not great, but give me a break. I mean, Kansas City, I think, is going to blow the doors off of this Oakland team. I'm still not convinced they're any good. And, yeah, uh, yeah so I've got KC minus eight. Mahomes is sensational. I don't know how much you guys got to watch that yep. game, but he, he literally would have had four TDs, but he attempted a no-look touchdown 
pass for no reason and threw it like eight feet over Travis Kelsey's head. So uh, he's like, he's it's insane how good he is. And yeah, eight seems a lock. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at some other games as well, and I, c- I couldn't really find anything I loved. Um, so I went with a game. I went with the game of the week, in my opinion. New Orleans at the L.A. Rams. Pass interference gate is back. <laughs> the L.A. Rams favored by three. I think that's not giving enough credit to New Orleans, who are going to be pissed off in this game. They're going to remember what happened in the conference championship. I think they're going to want this one a whole hell of a lot more than the L.A. Rams. So for me, I'm picking New Orleans plus three. New Orleans, Drew Brees, and the points plus three over the L.A. Rams. I don't hate that one. (laughs) Um, So my other picks, uh, I went with... The Indianapolis Colts plus three uh, against on the road against the Tennessee Titans. As we mentioned earlier, they look pretty good. The Colts look pretty good losing in overtime to a very good Chargers team. Um, Marlon Mack had 174 yards on the ground on 25 carries. Uh, Brissett didn't throw a pick. Um, they probably would have won that game. Ebron had a touchdown overturned and Vinatieri missed a few kicks uh, and they lost in overtime. Uh, and also not that this means anything. I just decided to look it up. The Titans have only beaten the Colts eight times since 2002, and they play twice a year, um, which is not great. So, you know, I I expect the Colts to kind of maybe just surprise some people in that game. Chase, just real quickly, another pick that I absolutely love, that if, if you are a gambling man, I think you put a, a, f- a few bucks on that one. <laughs> uh, and then the other one I went to, and I similarly, I'm not sold on this one, but just for the sake of picking different picks, uh, I went with Vikings plus three on the road to the Green Bay Packers. Um, I think how bad the Packers offense kind of was got lost in the everyone making fun of Mitch Trubisky and uh, and the just how ridiculous that game was. But they scored 10 points and won the game, which is the fewest Aaron Rodgers has scored in a very long time. And I don't know that. The Vikings just look so good on Sunday. I don't know that we can just automatically say that they're better. And this game ended in a tie last season (laughs) after several missed kicks by uh, players no longer uh, employed by the Vikings. Um, But I like their chances of just going in there and stealing a win because I think they're just a better team. (laughs) These are all our guaranteed lock picks. Locked them in. (laughs) You I mean, will not lose money on these. <laughs> Based on our one week one performances, uh, people may want to start paying attention. I mean, we all had the Ravens to win by six and a half. That happened uh, <laughs> by a little bit more than six and a half. We all loved that Chiefs game. Uh, they were minus four. I mean, to be fair, Nick Foles went out, but they had a lead when Nick Foles went out. Uh, they seemed pretty comfortable, especially offensively to me, so we all loved that pick. Uh, Jace had the Packers. He had the uh, little underdog special for Packers at plus three, and they won. Not only did they cover, but won that game. Uh, pushed on the Rams minus three. Tim got the Ravens uh, pick right. Got the New England minus six pick right. Uh, Eagles lost. That's uh, they were nine and a half point favorites. Were up by double digits, and with six seconds left, uh, they l- did not <laughs> cover against the Redskins. So that's our bad beat of the week. Yeah, talk about that backdoor cover, man. But, not great. But overall. Uh, you know, if you're following us and you're paying attention to these picks, you would have had a pretty good week one. So uh, we hope to uh, to nail our week two picks as well. We're going to wrap the show up. We have one thing left unanswered, and that's our random Ravens guess. I actually came oh. up with the name 
I don't love it, but uh, Jace, if you, if you have anything... Uh, before we do that, Jace, I just want to, for our listeners, so they don't have to go back and they're thinking, oh, wait, what were these clues again? Just very quickly, I'm going to run through them. Played yeah. four seasons for the Ravens after signing as an undrafted free agent from McNeese State in 2004. Two-time All-Pro with the Ravens, I should say. In 2006, against Atlanta, he had more return yards with 212 than the entire Falcons team had rushing. After the Ravens let him go, he was replaced as a return man by Yaman Figures. And he stands second all-time in punt return yards and first all-time in kick return yards in Ravens history. He also led the NFL in punt return yards in 2004. So with that, Jace, I'm going to say, who is my random Raven? Oh, my goodness. I, you might have stumped me, Tim. I don't, uh, so just to uh, stall, the first name, and this is not my guess for okay. the record, the first name that came out was Lardarius Webb because he did a lot of returning in that time. But he's not a McNeese guy. He's a Nickel State guy. Nichols. So that, that immediately eliminated Lardarius Webb. I've come up with one other name. It's impossible to me that this guy has two all-pro selections. <laughs> uh, so really, I'm just stalling for Jace here to, to come up with a name. Uh, but I'll, I'll submit I'll submit my guess if we're still waiting. This is not right, and I'm going to embarrass myself in episode yeah. two. But it's a long time ago, Tim. You went uh, to I the archives. Deep. I went deep, man. I went deep. So this guy was active in 2004. Correct. I mean, I, I can't be held responsible for that <laughs> much of a time. 15 I, years ago. I'm going to throw the name out. Uh, I'm going to say B.J. Sams. Okay, B.J. Sams. That's my guess. B.J. Sams. Oh. Take me back. Uh, uh, do, 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 I know. Do, do, uh, do, do, do. I'm trying to think of, like, defensive backs that weren't Ed Reed during that era <laughs> that we had. So the 2006 season, that's the uh, that's the 13 and three team, yeah. and that's how I was trying to build this back. Is who was returning those kicks on that team? BJ Sams was the only guy I could come up with. Jace, anything before we uh, wrap up here? No, Sams, I think is right. Now that you say it, I just that I have truly. The name of this segment is great because I have truly not thought of BJ Sams in nine, ten years. <laughs> All right, so, all right, so we're going final answer for both of you, BJ Sams. Are we sure yeah. about that? Yes. No. <laughs> <But> <laughs> well, Antonio is sure because he is correct. Let's be honest. Nice. Wow. One of, one of my favorite wow. random Ravens of all time. So there, there's, there he is. Owen oh, Daniels, man. week one, week two, the return man specialist, BJ Sams. Well, I, I, pulled that out of, I pulled that out of nowhere, yeah. but... Uh, Yes, absolutely. I was shocked by that. Take you behind the curtain. I looked it up today, and they said he was an All-Pro in 04 and 05, which blew my mind. Stunning to me. Wow, that's a that's an awesome pick. Good way to end it, I'd say. Right. (laughs) We'll have Jace next week with the Random Ravens. Two good names so far. We man, keep Uh, this going. That uh, was a challenge, Tim. uh, I've been thinking of one. I don't know if it's hard enough, but it's a personal favorite. uh, And I was looking; he might might be a good one. So. I, I have one name, at least. So we'll look forward to that next week. Thanks for listening to us. This is episode two of Pod Like a Raven. We're looking forward to this week two matchup against the Arizona Cardinals. We all like wins. We'll see by how many points that is. First game at m Bank. Looking forward to it. Signing off. Pod Like a Raven. We will see you guys next week.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.